Thank you, David. We have been in a sermon series, the Fruit of the Spirit sermon series. We're about halfway, a little over halfway through. This week we are going to be talking about kindness. So I'm going to ask that we stand as we read, read the word of the Lord. Galatians 5, 13 through 23. Let's read it together. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is life and it is light to us. I pray that your word would fall on good ground. I pray that we would take seriously what's been set before us by the truth of your word. God, I pray that we would walk in the freedom that the spirit brings. And that we would allow the spirit to bear fruit in our lives, God. Hide us in you. Hide us under your wing. Hide us in the shelter of the Almighty. So that we can abide. That we can rest in you. And in that abiding and in that rest, we can become more like you. We believe your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have your seats. Do y'all believe that something supernatural happens at the proclamation of God's word? Yes. All right. We're going to talk about kindness. Kindness is like, um, I don't know. I've always thought that this is kind of like a boring fruit of the spirit. Because you're always taught, like everybody is supposed to be kind. Like whether you're a Christian or not, just Human beings generally, generally believe you should be kind, just across the board. So it's like, Lord, what is special about this? What is like, what's unique? And I was thinking and praying about this entire list. Um, in verse 23, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I just was thinking about like, oh, yeah, God invented all of these things. I think in my mind that... Um, 
those aspects of God are kind of like things that people came up with on their own. It's just like people naturally want to be kind. People naturally think that there should be love, that it's nice to have joy. And then God was like, you know what? I'm going to capitalize on that. That's a good idea. I'm going to make sure they know you need to have this. It's not like that. Those things come from the very nature of God. And so when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit and how the Spirit is bearing fruit in our lives, think about it like this. When you have a really good friend, your friend doesn't just bring the shell of themselves with them, right? So if you say, hey, friend, um, come over my house, it's not just like tissue and bones and blood that's just, you know what I'm saying? It's their entire personality and their entire being. And you invite them to come be with you because you like what they bring. You like the aspects of their personality. So for example, Toya and Makita are friends of mine. They do not live with me. If I say, y'all, come over, I want them to bring the fullness of themselves. I know that with them comes friendship. With them comes love. With them comes laughter. With them comes the things that make them uniquely them. And one thing I've noticed is that when you hang around people, you start to act like people. So uh, have you ever noticed like with your, with your homies, with your best friends, if they have like a certain phrase, you pick up that certain phrase? So I figure I'm usually like a very direct person. I don't hem or haw about anything. If I have a thought, I'm just going to say the thoughts. But uh, Toya, for example, if she feels like if somebody asks her a question and um, she doesn't quite want to answer it, she does this thing. So I'll be like, Toya, did you enjoy your food that I prepared for you? She'd be like, um. I would just, if that were me, I'd be like, you know what? I would have rather had something else. But I picked that up. But it's because I'm with her. I work with her. She spends so much time at my house. Like, I just pick up those aspects of her personality. And that's what the spirit wants to do with us. We should be so intimate with the Spirit of God. We should want the Spirit of God to have so much proximity to us that we're picking up the nature of the Spirit. And that's what bearing fruit of the Spirit is. It's because we've invited the Spirit, we've allowed the Spirit to have access to our lives and to our hearts, and we are not resisting the Spirit. And as we have a journey of not resisting the Spirit, as we have a journey of opening ourselves up to the Spirit, we begin to act like the Spirit. We begin to be more loving, more kind, more peaceful, more joyful, all of those things that the Spirit brings. We act like that because the Spirit is like that. And it's crazy how the Spirit works. It's like when we become more like the Spirit, the Spirit makes us more like ourselves. The Spirit makes us more how God always intended, us, intended for us to be. The Spirit is never intended for us to be carbon copies of each other. No, God made us each unique and each different. And when we allow the Spirit to have full room in our lives, we, we are actually enthroned in the glory that God created us in. So don't be afraid of allowing the Spirit to bear fruit in your life and just say, Lord, how am I supposed to conjure up more kindness? How am I supposed to be nicer? No, if you spend more time with the Spirit, if you give more access to the Spirit, the Spirit will do it for you. And that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. So in thinking about kindness, I, there's a phrase that people have, and it says, don't mistake my kindness for weakness. Has anybody, y'all heard people say that? Don't take my kindness for weakness. That basically means I'm being nice to you right now, but I will smack you in the face. Don't think <laughs> I won't. And it feels like, especially like kindness and gentleness, those are like the soft 
<laughs> fruit of the spirit. And it's like, it's, that's like weakness. If something is soft, it feels weak to us. And it's like, listen, if I show you some softness, I'm worried that I'm exposing myself and making myself vulnerable to you. So we resist those things. And we make ourselves harder. We make ourselves more resistant. Because it's just like, I'm not trying to be vulnerable. I need to be strong. I'm out here by myself. I'm living in a world of sin. I need to be strong and endure like a good soldier. But no, you need to be soft. You need some kindness. You need some gentleness. You need some meekness. And so I think it's... uh, a false understanding to think that things that are soft cannot be strong. Think about toilet paper. You want your toilet paper to be both soft and strong. You want it to be soft enough to not cause injury and strong enough to get the job done. So think about kindness. (laughs) Like toilet paper. You need both the soft and the strong. And listen, that's an aspect of God. That's from the character of God. And where will we be without the kindness of God. If God wasn't tender towards us, where would we, we'd be lost. We'd be drifted like a ship without a sail. So we need the tenderness of God. Actually, we bask in the tenderness of God. We demand the tenderness of God. But it's so hard for us to show that tenderness to somebody else because it's like, oh, we're soft if we do that. Nope, 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 nope. Kindness is not weakness, kindness is power. Kindness is not weakness. Kindness is power. Kindness protects. Kindness shows mercy. Kindness is for someone else. Kindness is not weakness. It is power. Kindness protects. Kindness shows mercy. And kindness offers restitution. I'm going to talk about, um, I'm going to try to keep this as short as possible. Um, I'm going to talk about some characters in the Bible that have shown godly kindness. And I'm not going to read, the story goes over chapters, so I'm just going to retell it to you. I'm going to tell you the story about Saul and David and Jonathan. So, Saul and David and Jonathan. Let me think, who do I want to start with? Let's start with David. David, Is everybody familiar with David and Goliath? All right, so here's what happens. Saul is the king right? And the Philistines are giving his country, the people of Israel, some problems. He's having some difficult problems. None of his soldiers, his warriors can defeat this giant, right? And everybody's all upset about it. But here comes David, a shepherd, a little shepherd boy who comes with a slingshot and a rock and comes and slays this giant that none of the mightiest warriors of Israel are able to slay. So everybody is just like, everybody all over Israel is just like, oh, David, That's that dude right there. Like, absolutely, they love him. And Saul, of course, is understandably in his feelings about that. Saul is like, I'm the king. The people even write a song about it. They say Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. Saul is like, y'all, he killed one person. Y'all need to stop. Uh, But yeah, so David... um, he finds favor with the king because he did this huge favor to the people of Israel. The king says, you know what, come on into my house, and I'm just going to treat you well. So David has, like, this position as a close friend of the king slash the instrumentalist in the king's life. So David spends his time playing the lyre in the presence of the king. They didn't have TV, so that was, like, entertainment, somebody playing a harp all day. Uh, But here's the thing about Saul. Here's why he was so insecure. Saul was the first king of Israel. 
Before that, Israel knew no king. God was their king. So Saul, uh, you know, he was handsome, good looking. The people was like, yeah, Saul is a good guy. Let's go with him. But Saul hasn't had an obedience issue. Saul defied direct orders from God. And so because of that, the Lord removed his anointing. The Lord removed his favor from him. And he removed So, you know, when a king has a, a line, when they have a son, the son is supposed to be king next and then so on and so forth. Because Saul was so directly defiant and disobedient to the Lord, the Lord said, listen, you ain't fit to have no line of heirs come from you. I'm going to put my anointing on somebody else. And guess who that somebody else was? Little David with his little slingshot in the rock. So he has an attitude with David. He says, I'm going to keep my friends closer, my enemies closer. Come sit here and play this harp. And so they have this relationship where David is in the king's house, and David becomes really, really close friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. Best friends. I want you all to read 1 Samuel, like, 18 through 20. This is a friendship beyond any of us have ever known. They're, like, very committed to each other. And so David has his daily rhythm of playing the harp before Saul. And uh, one day, Saul comes, falls into a fit of rage and has a spear and hurls it at David. Hurls it straight at him. And David is like, what in the world is going on here? It happens twice. So David goes to um, Jonathan and says, listen, brother, I think your dad has a problem with me. And Jonathan said, I don't think so. I I think my dad would have told me if there was an issue with y'all. And David was like, I promise you, people don't throw spears for nothing. He has an issue with me. So um, since David and Jonathan are such best friends, but Jonathan is like, I mean, I know my dad. Jonathan is like, all right, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, so he and David uh, devise a scheme. And y'all, I'm trying to go into as little detail as possible. But he and David devise a scheme. So Jonathan's like, I'm sure my dad isn't that mad at you enough to kill you. And David's like, I'm sure that he is. So they devise a scheme. And so Jonathan says, look, I think I'm going to get in trouble with my dad if he actually does want to kill you. And he knows I'm so committed to you. So promise me an oath. Make me an oath that you will show me the kindness of God. That if my dad does want to kill you, who, you who are the rightful heir to the throne, the king that is coming after my father, promise me that you will not kill me or my family. Promise me that your men will not kill me or my family in response to my father's sin. Promise me, show me the kindness of God. So David was like, I promise, as long as you show me the kindness of figuring out if your daddy won't kill me or not. And they're both just like, cool, boom, got it. Long story short, um, Jonathan asks his father a simple question about David, uh, and King Saul flies off the handle and is like, you know what? I knew you liked David better than you liked me. Get out of my house. I'm going to kill both of y'all. And so uh, Jonathan goes back to David and was like, listen, fam, you were right. I need you to get yourself out of town. Get out of Dodge. And so David is like, oh, my gosh, he fulfilled this kindness to me. And that's the first part of it. Kindness offers protection. Jonathan did not have to do what he did, but because he loved David so much at cost to himself, at cost to his familial relationship, he said, I will protect you. One, because I love you so much, and two, I recognize that you are the anointed of God. Kindness protects. So David goes on. He and Saul have like David is, like, hiding in the wilderness. Saul is chasing after him. They have this cat and mouse back and forth for a long time. 
But David, I'm sure in his mind, is remembering the oath of kindness that he swore to Jonathan, that he would not harm Jonathan's family if Saul was trying to kill him. And at the same time, David recognizes that Saul is the king, the anointed one of God. He's still on the throne. So Saul is trying to kill David many times. David escapes by like the skin of his teeth so often, but David has these two opportunities where he's able to actually kill Saul before Saul kills him, and he does not do it. David has the opportunity. He knows for a fact that Saul has been sending his minions to murder him repeatedly, following him into the country, following him into the city, following him into caves, into into high places, into low places. And David comes upon Saul and has the opportunity to end it all right there and is well within his rights. But he does not kill him. He shows him mercy, kindness, shows mercy. Kindness is not weakness. Kindness is power. Kindness protects. Kindness shows mercy. Eventually, Saul dies. Jonathan dies. They die in a battle, and it's time for David to be king. So David is king, and he just is like winning battles left and right. He's like, yeah, the song was right. I did kill my tens of thousands. Boom. Saul never had victory like this. And so years go by, And as David is enthroned in all of his uh, victories, and he just is like, hmm, I remember that I swore an oath of kindness to my boy Jonathan. And he says to one of his servants, is there anybody left from the house of Jonathan, from the house of Saul, upon whom I can show kindness? And here enters a young man by the name of Mephibosheth. Y'all say Mephibosheth. I'll say it one more time. Mephibosheth. I should have put it on the screen, but Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, his uh, servants say, yeah, there's one left. His name is Mephibosheth. He's lame in both feet, and he lives somewhere else in Lo Debar. He doesn't even live in Jerusalem. He doesn't even live in the city of the king, in the city of God's presence, because his family's line has been disgraced. So uh, David says, come on, bring Mephibosheth over to me. Mephibosheth, I'm sure, is unassumingly sitting in the house, in a friend's house. He doesn't even have his own house. Because if you're lame, what can you do in 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 that culture? It's an agricultural society. If you can't walk, you cannot work. So Mephibosheth is at the um the mercies of his friend with whom he's living. So the king's guard, David's servants come to him and say, come on down to the palace. King want to talk to you. And Mephibosheth is like, man, I tried to run from, you know, all of these people. I'm not trying to, I ain't trying to start no trouble. I'm here. So Mephibosheth goes down to the king's palace. He throws himself on the floor and bows before David and says, David, you know, have mercy on me. David said, listen, brother, don't be scared. I'm here to serve you. On behalf of your your grandfather Saul and your father Jonathan, I want to show you kindness You've been living in this other house, dependent on other people for all of your meals. You've been living a life of an outcast. I want you to come into my house. I want you to eat at my table because of the oath of kindness I made to your father, Jonathan. So not only does kindness protect, not only does kindness show mercy, kindness makes restitution. The scripture says that Mephibosheth ate in the house of David for the rest of his days, just as if he was one of the king's sons. So why do I tell you all this story? One, I want you to realize that you are Mephibosheth. You are the person that is broken and alone and unable to do anything for yourself. When a king remembered you, 
and said, come and eat at my table. You are Mephibosheth, helpless and alone. When a king said, listen, I want to put you, I want to make you one of my sons. I want to make you my daughter. That tender kindness that makes restitution, that tender kindness that shows mercy. You are all Mephibosheth. And let's think about the greatness of the mercy of the king of glory, who was enthroned forever and ever in majesty and power and in holiness and in righteousness. And think about yourself as well-meaning as you often are how you fail to meet up to God's expectations or standards of holiness. How can we enter into the presence of a king? But listen, not only does the king ask us to come into his presence, he asks us to take a seat at his table and feast. And what a great kindness, what a tender kindness that is to us. In Romans chapter 2, it says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance It is the kindness of God that protects us. It is the kindness of God that keeps us from the snares of the enemy. It's the kindness of God that keeps us from the powers of hell. It is the kindness and the tenderness of God that protects us, that saves us, that rescues us. It's the kindness of God that shows us mercy. Mercy when we didn't even know we needed mercy. Mephibosheth probably wasn't thinking about King David at all. He was minding his business, but he was extended a mercy. And not only that, not only was Mephibosheth offered a seat at the king's table, uh, David said, listen, this other man who used to be a servant of Saul, you and your sons and your servants work for Mephibosheth and give him of the bounty of which you all of the fields of Saul are going to be restored to Mephibosheth. He gets the increase of what Saul had lost. What Saul had lost, what Saul had done away with, with his disobedience, the kindness of David restored. And let's think about all the things that we've lost, that we've thrown away from our own actions and things that not only affect us, but affect our children and our children's children. Things that our parents have done and our grandparents have done that affect us. It is the kindness of God that he he desires to restore and make restitution and give us abundant life. It is the kindness of God that shows us mercy when we don't expect it. And it is the kindness of God that offers restitution. It is the kindness of God that that changed, it was the kindness of David that changed Mephibosheth's life. And it is the kindness of God that changes our life. So what is our responsibility? Listen, the, the word of God is clear. It wants to, the spirit wants to stretch itself out in us so that we can share that godly kindness with other people. How can we show kindness that protects? How can we show kindness that shows mercy? How can we show kindness that offers restitution? There are very many of us in the room who are witnesses to godly kindness. There's kindness that protects. There are many of us that have opened up our homes to children that were not ours. We've offered them home and safety and protection. We've offered them love. That is kindness that protects. There's very many of us in here that have shown kindness that offers mercy. That when it was well within our rights to accuse, when it was well within our rights to offer blame, when it was well within our rights to destroy another person because of the havoc that they have wreaked on our lives, we chose not to. We chose to be still. We chose to be quiet. We chose to extend a hand of mercy. 
And there's very many of us in this room who have offered, who have shown kindness in the form of restitution that has, that has given of their own increase abundantly. They've given away money. They've given away hundreds of thousands of dollars to offer restitution, to offer kindness. And that kind of kindness doesn't just come from the mind of human beings. It comes from the will and the heart of God. And it is my prayer for us, y'all, that we don't see kindness as weakness, that we don't walk within our rights to have an attitude with whoever wrongs us, whoever looks at us dirty, or people who lie on us or accuse us. We have to, sure, if, if somebody does us wrong, it makes sense. Treat them wrong back. But God wants the kindness of God to be spread out in us so that people can see the goodness and the love and the mercy of God. If the kindness of God draws us to repentance, what, I mean, how much more so can the kindness that God shows through us? There are many broken relationships that are represented in this room. Many broken relationships. And there's an opportunity for us to show the kindness of God in that brokenness. There's a saying that says you can catch more flies with honey than you can with vinegar. Exactly. And a lot of people, we feel like, don't deserve our kindness, and honestly, don't. But there's a supernatural, powerful kindness that can only come from God if we allow the Lord to spring it up in us, that allows us to show mercy and love and offer protection and offer restitution to those we think least deserve it. Because, y'all, we've least deserved mercy, protection, and restitution. But God offers it, us, offers it to us anyway abundantly and freely. I just want us to remember today, as the choir comes back, each one of these fruit of the Spirit is more powerful and forceful and revolutionary than we think. Kindness is revolutionary. I want us to think about these fruit of the spirit as being revolutionary, unrelenting. And they are like this because that they come from God. They are revolutionary and unrelenting because they come from the heart of the Father. And if we think that they are anything less than revolutionary and redemptive, it's because we have watered them down in our hearts. We've allowed the thirst for power and for greed and for money and for sex to intoxicate us so that we are unimpressed with the glory of God's kindness, the glory of God's patience, the glory of God's goodness, the glory of God's faithfulness. It's because we've drunk deeply from the cup of sin and numbed ourselves to the wonder of the kindness of God. But our inability to recognize the power of God's kindness, the might of God's kindness, does not render it ineffective. No, the kindness of God is still at work, even in this very moment, changing us, conforming us, transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that we would be transformed by your kindness. Father, I pray that we would give your spirit access, full access to our lives. God, I pray that we would show kindness that would revolutionize the world. God, I pray that your spirit, as it grows kindness in us, would remove bitterness.
As your spirit grows kindness in us, it will remove malice. As it grows kindness in us, it will remove jealousy or envy or ill intent. As your spirit grows kindness in us, that it would take away our need for revenge. Spirit of God, we recognize that we are recipients of a scandalous amount of kindness and mercy. God, I pray that we would keep that ever before us and that we would remember that your kindness, it is strength. Your kindness, it is power. Your kindness is mighty. Your kindness has the power to change lives, to restore relationships. Your kindness has power to bring restitution. Your kindness has power to offer abundant life. Your kindness has power to offer community to those who don't have it. Your kindness spurs us on towards compassion. God, I pray we would soften our hearts to you. Be glorified in Christ's name.